Hello everyone, Rob Guest from Football.London here and welcome to the latest episode of Gold and Guest Tot Tottenham, sponsored by NordVPN. On today's podcast, we're going to be taking a look back at Tottenham's 2-2 draw against Brentford on Sunday, as well as having a look at what the rest of the transfer window holds for the club. Joining me as ever, Alistair Gold. Ali, how are you? Yeah, good. We had a, a good day at the GTEC Community Stadium yesterday, watching the Ange Postacoglu era officially begin in the Premier League. I guess the post-Harry Kane era as well, if you want to call it that. And it was there was a few promising signs, a few things that surprised us, uh, a few things that still need to be worked on, but absolutely loads for us to talk about. I'm sure there's plenty we can cover today. Yeah, most definitely. A very entertaining game, most certainly as well, end-to-end, especially in the first half. A number of chances for both teams. So it was Tottenham who took the lead through a brilliant Christian Romero header on 11 minutes. Brian and Buemo scored a, a penalty. I think we can say it was a bit of a controversial penalty, but we will go a bit more into depth in that in quite a bit. Then Spurs obviously uh, levelled things up in half time wasn't it just in stoppage time through Emerson Royale after Johan Wisser had put Brentford 2-1 ahead so Ali Ange Postacoglu's first game as Spurs manager your overall thoughts on the game I thought it was okay I thought I think I said to you before the match I probably would have taken a point um I think it was a very tough first fixture to have for a side that clearly have not got the match sharpness or fitness yet because of a absolute mess of a preseason, um, you know, with cancelled games, with opposition dropping out, things like that. So you could tell Postacoglu was a little bit concerned about that aspect. So he would have been quite pleased, I think, that fitness-wise it held up. Um, but yeah, I think it was a really good test to see how the system worked against a team that were willing to press quite quickly and high up the pitch against Spurs who were trying to do the same. Um, it wasn't the full Postacoglu experience. It wasn't what we saw in pre-season. And I think Brentford played a big part in that. But there were also a lot of positives in in how that game could have gone. Obviously, you can't help but draw your mind, and we'll talk about this in a bit more depth later, about how it would have worked had a certain Harry Kane been up there. But obviously, we do. We have to move on from uh, the England captain now. He is off the, out there in Germany. Um, but yeah, it was okay. I mean, I was looking at some of the stats. 69% possession, 634 passes to Brentford's 235, with a 90% pass accuracy, 18 shots on goal, Six on target. Brentford had to make 34 clearances in and around their box and six blocks in it as well, Um, which just is a huge indicator of the different kind of Tottenham Hotspur we're going to see this season. Um, To go to Brentford and do that, um, and both goals were iffy in their different ways, some for some iffy defending, some for some decisions that were a little bit soft, um, and Brentford could have really should have scored another goal just before half time. Uh, was it in Buemo? Um, Buemo again, over, yeah. yeah. But there were a lot of positives. Um, I think a lot, especially in the midfield area, a few in the defense. Um, 
And as a first game, especially when we've been very clear, anyone that listens to this will know, we've been very clear that the Postacoglu era at every club always has a bit of a stuttering start. It's always, you can see elements of what you're going to see when it's to come, but you can also see how the team is still very much adapting to it. I'd actually say this was probably a bit more positive than I was expecting from the first proper competitive game. I thought they'd be a little bit further back in their preparations because of everything that's happened. So, yeah, I think we will talk about the attack later. I don't think it's any coincidence that both goals were scored by defenders. Um, that's definitely an area that Postacoglu will want to change in the weeks ahead, whether that be with in-house solutions or new players coming in. But yeah, first point on the board, I think he'll be quietly... I don't think he'll be ecstatic because he's a man that even in pre-season didn't want to lose any games. Um, He's not the kind of guy that is, oh, well, results don't matter. Um, But I think he will take some satisfaction from a large portion of things that Spurs did on the day, knowing that there's still a lot that can be improved. Yeah, plenty of positives, once again, uh, to take from Tottenham under Ange Postacoglu. I think, like you were saying, maybe didn't see the full uh, Ange Postacoglu Tottenham team as we did in pre-season. But then again, I think you've just got to look at the opponents. Uh, Spurs were playing, obviously, Line City Sailors. West Ham weren't at full strength. Shakhtar Donetsk as well. But they said harsh on Lion City sailors. Eh? Maybe. Well, they did go one 0 up, didn't they? After all, so <laughs> absolutely. And also, yeah. we should say three of the Spurs back five yesterday were brand new players, were making their debuts, and one of them had only had three training sessions <laughs> with the club. Yeah, very much so. Uh, I think it was a game which was maybe a sign of things to come in the first few weeks under Ange Postacoglu. You know, he's trying to implement this attacking brand of football, uh, his football philosophy on the plays. He's not really had that long to work with them. Might have been six or seven weeks now since uh, he started pre-season training at the start of July. And he was never just going to fully take off come the opening weekend of the Premier League season. Time is something he needs, you know, for everyone to get playing his way, understand where they need to be on the pitch. And I think that was evident in the game because Brentford a number of times opened Tottenham up, got in behind them and had opportunities on goal. And like you were saying, Empoema had that really, really good chance, uh, I think, just at the end of the first half. But the second half, I didn't think Brentford really, you know, threatened Tottenham. Uh, it was Tottenham dominated the ball, had a couple of opportunities, one notably for Richarlison, what he uh, hit straight at the goalkeeper. But yeah, I think it was a positive performance, certainly a sign of things to come. I think the Tottenham fans inside the stadium who were making an awful lot of noise throughout the game, I think they certainly appreciated the performance from the players, you know, especially as well going back to what they've had to put up with uh, over the past few seasons when it has been defensively minded football even though they have had this you know attacking talents in the team uh, and they've not always played to the strengths but yeah uh, a number of positives and I think just everyone's looking forward to seeing what this Tottenham team are like once they've had a good few months under Ange Postacoglu. Absolutely Thomas Frank in his press conference afterwards he was asked what he saw as the differences and he was like they're a really attacking team now. <laughs> it's as simple as that. They, they were kind of more defensive-minded before and now they're such an attack-minded team and, and they'll take risks was another thing he said as well. 
and you could see that. I think he took some risks with his lineup um, as well, Postacoglu, which I guess shows the players that, look, I'm asking you to take risks, so I'm going to do it as well. And, and, you know, I said beforehand that if he was going to play Van der Ven, I kind of would have thought you'd play Ben Davies alongside him as an experienced head in his, you know, like I say, Van der Ven hadn't played a single minute of football with Tottenham. He was coming straight in only after a few training sessions. Uh, yet Postacoglu went, no, no, that's not how I operate. Um, Destiny Adagi, 20 years old. <laughs> He's going to make his debut alongside a 22-year-old in one of the youngest kind of pairings down the left-hand side. I think probably Spurs have ever had in, in a Premier League game. Um, I'm trying to think if anyone else. I can't think anyone else that have played there. Maybe unless... Tanganga and Sessignon have played together at some point. It was just a very, very young pairing. And to what, to be honest, it was probably one of the most positive elements of the game. Both, I thought. Van der Ven, of course, you know, if you're watching the highlights packages, you'll probably think, oh, you know, he deflected the the uh, uh, shot into the second for the second Brentford goal uh, past Vicario. If you think that was Van der Ven's kind of performance, you'd be really sorely mistaken. I thought he looked very confident from the off, very uh, comfortable on the ball. And I'd actually say that after that moment, which was a really unfortunate one, he was trying to block the shot and it just got the tiniest of touches over Vicario. Um, I thought he reacted really well from that point on to that. I don't can't really remember anything getting past him. Um, and... Yeah, very good. Destiny of Doggy. That, for me, was probably one of the most confident um, day Premier League debuts I've seen from a Spurs, kind of a young Spurs player as well. I, th- I thought he was, especially the pressure that comes of playing as a fullback in the Premier League, um, especially one who's played as a wingback for much of last season. I thought those two absolutely paid off Postacoglu's decision and then some. Um, really, really impressed with that aspect of it because God, I've remembered so many debuts over the years that have been like I think Dimitar Berbatov. I remember him, and I think it was Asu Okoto. Was it maybe the two of them coming on uh, playing against Bolton in their Premier League debuts and getting battered all over the pitch? And I remember Martin Joel saying something like, "You know, that's a welcome to England, that welcome to the Premier League kind of thing." So that could have been exactly the same for, for Destiny, Doggy and um, Mickey van der Ven, but I thought they handled the physical side of the game so well. Um, so, yeah, yeah, it was – there were promising stuff. There's stuff very much still to fix as well. Um, but I just love the fact that Postacoglu is fully aware of that. He doesn't think they're anywhere near their finished product, and he doesn't want to be anyone to judge this as a Postacoglu team yet. It's very much one in transition, but – as you say, I think the fans there would have seen a lot of the uh, the changes that are coming in. And another little thing with the fans, and you can tell us about this because you know exactly how it happened. What happened at the start of the, the game, just beforehand, there was a, a little different thing, a little huddle that came, went on over in the corner. Yeah, uh, Tottenham players had a pre-match huddle. What I noticed when Son, who obviously is the new captain of the uh, football club, he was obviously in the centre circle with Christian Norgard and the match officials just, you know, doing the coin tossing. James Madison, who was one of the two new vice captains alongside Christian Romero, he looked like he'd gathered the rest of the team in the middle of the pitch. And as soon as Son jogged back towards them, then the whole team went to the far corner right in front of the Tottenham fans. 
obviously there's a huge cheer when they they went over there. They had a pre-match huddle uh, and then ran back off uh, to get back into the positions uh, again, greeted by a booming cheer from the Tottenham uh, fans. But unfortunately, we were thinking, right, we're going to get straight into the game. And then there was a delay of about six or seven minutes because there was a, yeah. a water issue uh, at the stadium, which was uh, rather unfortunate. But I wonder if we'll see this uh, huddle again because I think Tottenham fans most definitely appreciated it. And I think if they could do that in front of, you know, the South Stand on Saturday, then there'd be a huge, huge cheer. And that all came about from uh, was Son who had the idea. I know Ange Postacoglu was asked in this post-match press conference where that idea had come from. And he said, no, that was on the place. So I spoke with James Madison after the game in the mix zone and asked him that, did that come from the players or the manager? And he says it was Son. Son had sent him a text message late on Saturday night explaining this idea that he wanted to do the huddle in front of the fans. And, yeah, uh, I think it was an idea what went down really well. But Madison did allude to the point of the fact that there was that slight delay, what maybe took a bit of shine off the impact. But yeah, I think if water could... waste, yeah, brilliant. <laughs> I guess his face, he loves a pun. That but... water thing was so weird, though, wasn't it? It was yeah, like yeah. apparently. Because both Postacoglu and uh, Thomas Frank were both saying it's never happened to them ever in their long careers as managers. I think, because people would understand me thinking, well, what? why would a water kind of shortage have any bearing on whether a Premier League game starts? We think, we could be wrong, but we think it's because if there was a fire or any kind of emergency within the stadium, things like sprinklers wouldn't come on and, and you wouldn't be, it would be a huge health and safety issue. So I think that's where it came from. But yeah, in terms of uh, the huddle, uh, I think it would be great if we could see it again on Saturday in the Manchester United game. So we'll have to wait and but see. Where would they do it then? Surely they do it <laughs> in front of South Stand, just go right into the penalty box. What about the poor North Stand? Well, they'll have to do it in front of there another time. Won't they? They'll just have to go around all four stands. But I say it's a bit different at home. I guess, yes, in front of the south stand is probably going to create the most noise. So and that's where they'll be anyway in the first half. That's the side they always go to because they shoot at the north stand in the first half. So makes yeah, sense. <laughs> it does. It does. And now we have visions of them kind of slowly working their way <laughs> in a certain lap of honour <laughs> before the game's even started. Uh, but no, it was a nice little touch. And it, yeah, if it had not been for that delay, I think the Spurs fans would have been really energised going into the game because um, they were singing Postacoglu's name and everything. It was a really nice atmosphere it created. And like you say, you know, you, you found that out there. Sonny, the man who uh, instigated it all, a nice little touch as the new Tottenham Hotspur captain. Yeah, uh, on the subject of one of the vice captains, Christian Romero, obviously he was heavily involved in Tottenham's First of the afternoon with a brilliant header from an inviting James Madison cross uh, into the box. I think that was just one of those where it just needed a touch because the delivery was that good. And unfortunately, a few minutes prior to that, Romero had uh, sustained a clash of heads with one of the Brentford players. He was down, had to get some treatment. And then there was a moment after Romero scored, you could see the elation on his face. And then it just seemed to... Uh, 
I've got a bit of an issue with my head here. You could just tell, and Eves Basuma signaled straight to the bench that there was an issue, and you know, Ange Postacoglu made the decision there and then, obviously on doctor's orders to uh, bring Davinson Sanchez off and replace Romero, but there was just this worrying moment when Christian Romero was giving two thumbs up to the bench and he didn't want to come off and he just had visions of Kepa and Maurizio Sarri in the Carabao Cup final in 2019 where he wouldn't come off at all when obviously Sarri wanted to change the keep and you're thinking today of all days Ange Postacoglu's first game as Spurs manager obviously Romero first game as a vice captain you just do not want this to overshadow this first game and he was certainly reluctant and he was ushered off in the end but I think it was the right decision overall Oh absolutely yeah there was one there was that moment where you and I like no 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 don't do it don't do it but I think you could just see Postacoglu was just going no come off and it was like Romero was like yeah I'm not taking him on (laughs) fair enough (laughs) he had that look about him Postacoglu and yeah I mean the actual moment when he headed the ball in there was this thud as it hit his head because it was such a, a whipped in ball from Madison and it, he threw himself at it which I guess is a, a good indicator of the bravery of Romero <laughs> he's taken a whack to the head and he's thrown himself at this and it looked like he kind of banged into the ground as well as he went down I don't know whether his head hit but he certainly was a big collision on the ground as well um, and yeah like you say there was this little moment where he was all like yeah I've scored and you could just see his face was like oh this does not feel right and Basuma immediately turned around, span around and turned to the bench and said, like, something has to be done here. And I think a few other players were looking across. I think Emerson also did. Um, and then, of course, we had that wait for the VAR to check whether it was offside or onside. And so, yeah, Romero was maybe had a little moment to clear his head, if you'll pardon the expression. And he was kind of fist pumping when it was confirmed as a goal. And <laughs> he looked across. He was like, I'm coming off. No, no, I don't need thumbs up. I'm okay. I'm okay, lads. And then, yeah, taken off. And he had, there was this funny moment where Postacoglu kind of grabbed him, ironically, by the head, <laughs> which maybe wasn't the best place to do it, and said something into his ears, like, presumably just along the lines of, you have to come off. We can't risk you with something like this with a head injury. Um, and then he had, I wouldn't say it was a strop, but he it was flinging his arms a little bit in annoyance as he went down the tunnel. Um, and then, Postacoglu revealed afterwards, I asked him about it all, and, and he revealed afterwards that they had actually made a little bit of a, a mess in you're supposed to fill in a form of what kind of sub you're doing, and it should have been filled in as a concussion sub, and it wasn't. And I'm interested to kind of know, I think it's something we kind of need to know a little bit more about, and I've tried to, it's a difficult one, because Spurs have got the day off today, all the players are off today, so we, have, we don't really know much about an update in terms of Romero. But there's two elements to this is if it wasn't registered as a concussion sub, then technically it would have fallen into one of the permitted stoppages to have a sub because you only learn a certain amount. Is it three? Is it three different? Yeah, you can make five subs in total, but only in three different stages. You can't have more than three. Yeah, so I wonder whether that played its part in him potentially maybe not having a later opportunity to bring on another player, maybe. Because uh, I, I think we wondered whether Solomon might have come on late on in the game just to kind of uh, test the, the tired legs of the, the Brentford defence. But then also you've got the other side of it is 
if it turns out that he hasn't got concussion, uh, which obviously we hope is the case that he hasn't, does him not being registered as a concussion sub, does that mean that there's no protocol now and that he would be fine to play against United? I think these are answers we kind of need when Romero's back in and, and able to be fully assessed a couple of days later because, yeah, obviously he'd be a big miss against United. He played, started the game brightly. Postacoglu called him their most influential defender afterwards. He said, you know, we've lost our, we lost our most influential defender on the day. Um, and yeah, ultimately it's all about the welfare of the player. He's quite right, Postacoglu. It should never, ever be down to the player to decide in such a situation. However much they want to be upset or disappointed or frustrated about being taken off, that's the whole point of the the new way that it's being looked at is the medical team, as soon as he had the banger heads, were watching him closely, were monitoring him. And the moment that there was any more issues after that, especially with taking another whack on the head, albeit from a ball, just get him off. Because, you know, you don't want, you know, the, you see this in the NFL. Um, in the NFL, there's there's been a, quite a few. Con- I know that's different. It's a contact sport. and Well, obviously, it's Football is as well, but the kind of the contact is slightly bigger in NFL, and there's helmets bashing against your head as well. But they're seeing a few instances of that of of players and, and big ones like the quarterback for the Miami Dolphins has kind of had real issues with it as well. Of you don't want repeated issues with concussion because obviously how dangerous it can be. Um, and for Romero, such a key player, you just want to make sure everything's all right, and that's the most important thing. Well, can you remember back in the World Cup? Uh, I think it was England-Iran. Was it Iran's goalkeeper took a massive whack to the head, uh, then carried on playing for like five, ten minutes, and then they ended up bringing him, bringing him off. And we've seen it in the past. Yeah. And it's just good that like Ange Postacoglu and you know the Tottenham backroom team are just taking ownership of the situation and just bringing him off, you know, straight away. So. Obviously, with Romero coming off, uh, Davinson Sanchez got his opportunity uh, to come onto the pitch. You know, fresh from such a good performance uh, against Barcelona in midweek. And got to say, once again, he took his opportunity with both hands, defended well. Uh, I think he was unlucky for, was it the Brentford second goal? That come from a free kick he conceded. Really unlucky to get booked from it. I think the scored direct from the free kick, punted it upfield, yeah, and right. yeah, and then capitalised on that. But there was another better play towards the end of the first half when Johan Wisser got in behind and looked odds on like to uh, get a shot off on target uh, against Vicario. But Sanchez just came from nowhere, nowhere, produced this fantastic tackle, and you know managed to win a goal kick rather than conceding a corner. And I think he's certainly made his case again because there was Ben Davis as another option to bring on then but I think having two left-sided defenders probably wouldn't have been the best thing and obviously with Sanchez being right foot and playing on the right side it gave a bit of balance and you've got to be thinking now given the question marks around in his future all summer he might be playing his way into Postacoglu's plans and sticking about after all you never know you never know I absolutely agree. I think his last two performances, weirdly, have been among his best for Spurs. They've been so good and like game-saving kind of moments in so many occasions. Um, obviously, admittedly, ones are friendly, but you know it's against Barcelona and, and the um, the ability that their players have as well. Um, it would be a very quick kind of redemption arc in terms of 
Spurs accepting a bid from, I think it was about 12 million from Spartak Moscow only a couple of weeks ago. Obviously, having had that kind of horrendous match where he was getting booed by his own fans with every touch and stuff like that. So if he does manage to kind of come back and end up being a part of this team, I mean, we'll see. It depends. Postacoglu kind of told me again in Barcelona he does want another centre-back um, to come in. So much depends on... Um, you'd imagine they're going to need cover, aren't they? They're going to need cover for Van der Ven, and I probably would say not Ben Davies. I think you need a proper natural centre-back in a, in a two for that uh, backup, and you're also going to have to decide who's Romero's backup, and it could well be that Dyer and Sanchez fight it out for that Romero backup role, with the new centre-back maybe coming in for the, the left-sided role. Um, or you get someone that can do both, I guess. But, I mean, I think we've said this before, that on paper, Sanchez is the better fit for the Postacoglu system because of his pace and the ability to recover. I mean, we saw it so many times yesterday, and it's going to be such a common tactic for opponents, is just the long ball down the flanks, knowing that the fullbacks are going to be inverted and they're going to be inside the pitch or they're going to be high up the pitch. That's an, a, a definitely... I wouldn't say it's a weakness of the Postacoglu system because he's fully aware of it and he kind of plans for it with the pace of the full uh, centre-backs. But it's going to be something they're going to have to deal with as the out-ball all the time for opponents. And Brentford, who naturally kind of play this counter way in how they, they play, did it to a T. Uh, and poor Emerson kind of got roasted a few times down that side by Rico Henry in particular. Um and Sanchez, like Van de Ven and like Romero, have that pace to recover. The only thing you can maybe argue is, does Sanchez's technical ability under pressure, is he going to be able to handle that? I would say I feel like he's improved a lot. in the last, Even in the last couple of games, I think we've seen a real um, willingness to show that composure. And I don't think he's made many mistakes in that regard. I think Vicario is going to be the same. I think Vicario is obviously going to improve his footwork in that. Um, aspect um, maybe the other one other aspect is sometimes as the centre-back is asked to step into midfield and be another midfielder and whether Sanchez can do that whereas maybe that's something that Dyer we know can do in the past it's going to be quite an interesting battle between those two I think it's almost to kind of see who keeps their Spurs career going both are out of contract next summer aren't they yeah so they're both yeah, they 24 yeah so you would imagine whichever one of them stays, and obviously this may not go down well with the fans, but whichever one of them stays, you would think would have to sign a new contract because otherwise you're allowing them just to head off for free next summer. So, and this isn't, you know, Harry Kane we're talking about, who I think Spurs would have taken a bit of a risk to see whether he would have signed a new deal. But, I mean, we're going to talk about Eric Dyer in a bit and the absolute farce that's happened this week with him. Who do you think the fans would be less up in arms about signing a new deal out of those two? I <laughs> know it's, it's a really difficult one, isn't it? A tough one. Uh, I don't know because I mean, when you look at social media, which is the best barometer uh, to no, you know not. gauge a fan's opinion, but it's like fans have wanted both out as part of the big changes taking part this summer but I mean if it's 
if you're going on current form and Sanchez's last performances, then you might be thinking Spurs fans might prefer Sanchez to stick around, especially given he's the better fit in the system as well. But I'm going to be down to Ange Postacoglu and see what he wants to do in the transfer market over the coming two weeks or so because there's an awful lot still to do uh, at the club before the deadline on September the 1st. So, yeah, one thing I did notice about Sanchez yesterday in the second half was he was the leader at the back because it was such a youthful defence and we've not really seen that at the back from Sanchez before because it's usually Eric Dyer who'll be back in the orders or whoever else. And that was good to see, but I mean, I think that was always going to be the case when you've got Mickey van der Ven, who'd only been training with the club for three days, Destiny Doggy, who's uh, a new signing, and then obviously Emerson Ryle, uh, right back as well. But yeah, I think going on Sanchez's performance, we might not have seen the last of him uh, just yet. Yeah, maybe not. Maybe not. It's interesting, like we were saying earlier about social media, it's reminded me of, I was talking to someone around um, one of the players a few weeks back um and they said they work obviously work with players and they said what they always instruct their players um or tell them is when it comes to social media that only represents three percent of fan opinion that's the amount to take it no more just the fact that it's it's something that's there it's a noise but actually it doesn't represent an entire uh, fan base, I guess, is probably the way to put it, or a, or an entire general opinion, which, yeah, uh, is probably is true, isn't it? I think, I mean, we've seen so many instances where an opinion on social media is not shared within a stadium. Sometimes it is, you know, like, as we said, Sanchez got booed during that game. So clearly, you know, the fans inside the stadium turned on him as well. But, uh, yeah, I just do find that kind of a fascinating thing of how we don't take it as a barometer, um, and it seems like players are kind of told not to as well. And there seems to be a growing number of players who don't even bother to look at social media. I've noticed that as well. And look, it's no secret. I think I'm sure people don't entirely believe that every single player operates their own social media account either. Which that one always amuses me. We're like, oh my goodness, have you seen what player A has or player B has tweeted out oh my goodness oh they're staying and all this sort of stuff and it's like yeah you know it's like a team of people who have like scheduled a tweet to go out do you remember we had the was it the joe hart incident yeah when he, it was like the wrong tweet went out after a defeat as like a victory is like, oh yeah um so i think there's a kind of an i guess that's one nice innocent naive side to it all that people maybe still believe that that's exactly the fan. I mean, some players do do their own social media stuff, but um, I would say that it's it's not a, a great deal of them. Uh, but yeah, I, I don't know. I think in terms of my question to you about which of them would create more of an uproar with a new contract, I think, and I'm sure fans won't be too upset at me saying this, I think current mood dictates fans' views quite a lot. Um, and I think if Sanchez puts together a run of good performances and is given a new contract, let's say, I don't think that would be that badly received. Uh, maybe the same with Eric Dyer. I guess it depends how much pent-up frustration people have with certain players. Um, but there's also the element, I think, of what offers come in. And if you get a good offer in for a player and they're in the last year of your contract, you have to weigh it all up and decide what's best for the player, the club. And, you know, Sanchez may not want to stick around as a backup. 
Um, that's another thing to take into account. So, yeah, we'll see what happens with them. But fair play to Sanchez. You know, one thing you can never, ever say about Davinson Sanchez is that he doesn't give everything to Spurs. Every time he steps on that pitch, he throws himself into every single challenge. He's popular in the squad. The players really like him. He's got all the elements to be a very good defender. It's just, as we've said before, it's just the little concentration lapses that have let him down over the years. Um, but yeah, no, I'm, interest- I'm interested to see what happens next for him. Yeah, in terms of the contracts, I think fans could probably understand if it's like a one or two year contract extension to, you know, help retain the value. I think there'd certainly be questions if they're going down the Chelsea style of contracts and dishing out eight year contracts here and there, but I don't think that'll be uh, the case. <laughs> uh, right, what we'll move on to now is Brentford's first goal of the game. So I think we need to discuss that. It came after uh, a VAR call. The referee went to the screen. There was a challenge from Son Hyung Min on Matthias Jensen in the box. Obviously, play uh, was waved on. I think Richarlison had the ball down the touchline and eventually when it went out, they went to check the screen. And fortunately, from a Tottenham perspective, the referee pointed to the spot. I think a number of Tottenham fans are obviously quite angry about the decision. Yes, there is contact, but there's it's minimal contact. And could you say there's not enough there for the player to go down like he did? But I think it's the case now once, obviously, the officials at Stockley Park are looking at it. If there is a tiny bit of contact, then players, unfortunately, are going to go down and make the most of it because I think they know that it will uh, go to VAR and the referee did point to the penalty spot. And I think... I'm right to assume uh, you probably didn't think it was a penalty either. Oh, well, I'm somewhere in the middle. Right. I okay. definitely think it was a soft penalty. Yeah, I think, as you say, the contact was pretty much a flyer landing on someone's foot. Um, but then I also completely understand that ultimately Sonny caught his foot in the penalty area. And... Yes, he made a meal of it and stayed down <laughs> for the entire next period of play as if someone had shot him in the foot. Um, and it was over the top. And he, when he eventually walked all the way up the pitch, didn't he? As soon as the ball came to him, he just booted it out to try to get the to force the VAR decision to be made. He was so angry. Unfortunately, I think by the letter of the, the laws of the game, Sonny caught him on the foot in the box. And that's it. That's I, I. I totally think it's soft. And like, yeah. I mean, I said that to you at the time. It's like that's that's pretty much as soft a penalty as you can get. But when you're looking at it in VAR and you're looking at it slowed down on a screen, as the referee was called over to do on his pitch side monitor, it's a foot clattering against a foot in the box, and the player, yes, went down, but also. <sighs> The amount of times that players don't get da- go down and don't get a decision, that's why they do it. Um, so yeah, yeah, it was it was unfortunate on Spurs, who kind of had started to build up a little bit of momentum. I think they were slightly knocked by Romero having to go off, but still, it was a little bit felt against the run of play that moment. Um, but yeah, they dealt with it. They, they cracked on. Vicario got a yellow card because <laughs> they're clamping down on that as well, aren't they? The goalkeeper's coming out and kind of standing in front of the penalty taker. So that was a new experience for him. 
Um, Spurs racked up quite a few yellow cards in that first half, didn't they? We were both worried that at least one of them was going to get themselves sent off at some point. But uh, yeah, I mean, they overcame, well, kind of overcame it in the end. They got a point. But uh, yeah, it wasn't a penalty I would have rushed to give on either side of the pitch. But ultimately, I do think, unfortunately, by letters of the law, it was one. Yeah, I think everything just looks worse in slow motion when they go Absolutely. to VAR. And yeah, it's just one of those. In regards to the yellow cards, I think first that was the four on the pitch for Tottenham. And then Ryan Mason also got one. Yeah, Ryan Mason he got did. one. Yeah, for yeah. A little, that was after the penalty, wasn't it? Because he was really annoyed was. at the, the giving of it. Yeah, him and another coach had a bit of a squabble. Yeah, they did. Uh, we'll get on to some of the performances from the Tottenham players now as there were a number of standout uh, displays. I think Yves Basuma I've just seen has been given, obviously, managed man of the match uh, from the Tottenham vote and I think he got it uh, from Sky as well. Last season, we, we just never saw the best of Yves Basuma. Obviously, the ankle surgery had... Uh, in the second half of the season didn't help his cause but I think what also didn't help him was Antonio Conte's tactical demands and the fact that Conte saw Pierre-Emil Hoiberg and Rodrigo Bensonker ahead of him in the pecking order and Basuma just looks a shadow of the play he was at Brighton when he pulled on the Tottenham shirt last season but he certainly looked more like his old self yesterday dictating play, uh, always looking to get on the ball and make things happen. Uh, a number of flicks and tricks. I think one what has been doing uh, the rounds on social media and Tottenham have put it on their account as well is just a really nice play uh, in front of his own box to get away from his marker and then push up field. And I'll run through his numbers from the game, which were extremely impressive. Uh, he had the most touches of any player at 136. He came out on top of most passes at 112, most duels as well, which was 11, and the most take-ons completed at 7. He had a 92% pack, pass accuracy. He made 15 entries into the final third. He won possession seven times, made three tackles, two interceptions and two clearances. And I think he had two shots on goal as well. And this was put to him in the Spurs play interview after the game. And he was saying, you know, yeah, he might have got man of the match, might have come out first on top in all these uh, areas. But the one thing that matters for him is, you know, the team playing well and getting the points. And I think he will have impressed Ange Postacoglu and all Tottenham fans in terms of what he did on the pitch. And I think what also he said off the pitch as well will, will have been noted by the manager and the fans. Yeah, I mean, one of the stats you've said there, 112 passes. Bearing in mind, Spurs only made, well, only, Spurs made 634 <laughs> That's, you know, that's ridiculous. The amount of those passes that actually came from Basuma just shows how integral he was. He was the hub of everything they do. And I must admit, I know we've said this about a few players since, but I did get Dembele vibes from Basuma yesterday. There was a real kind of mastery of the pitch, a dominant performance of players on the opposition just being unable to get even near him, let alone take the ball off him. Um, he just always looked in control, whether it be on the edge of his own penalty area, like you said, or whether it was on the edge of the other penalty area. Um, 
it was it was superb. I know there's some question marks about whether he can will always be able to operate as a number six and whether they will need a more def- really defensive-minded player there at times against certain opposition and whether he might switch to an eight. And to be fair, that's what Postacoglu said. You can see him in a few different roles because, um, you know, there's some games where maybe you would think you'd play Basuma and let's say Bentenko in the future and maybe someone like Skip would sit in the, the holding role uh, if you were playing a team that are going to absolutely fly at you constantly. But I think Basuma could end up being the real figurehead of this Postacoglu era. He's got the potential to it. He's got the talent to do it. He looks so much back to the Brighton version of Basuma, which is brilliant, but yet can be even so much more than that. Um, I love his dribbling ability. It's superb. His, I mean, yeah, he had three shots on goal, one key pass as well. And I love the fact that behind the scenes, I know that Postacoglu has really been stoking him up like a furnace. He's been telling him how brilliant he is, how important he is to Spurs, and how much he wants him to really set an example for the rest of the players, and especially the younger players as well. He wants, I mean, it's this month, later this month, uh, Basuma turns 27. So he's not a young player anymore. He's got to be a senior kind of figurehead. And I think maybe there's just been this sense in his career of, I don't want to say like he's one of the lads or something like this, but there's been a sense that maybe he's he's a funny guy. He's a jokey character. And there's just been maybe a sense that a, a talented guy that maybe doesn't lead the team. And I think Postacoglu's kind of said to him, now it's time for you to do that. It was interesting that he didn't name him among those, the, the captain, the two vice captains, but wants him to be part, I think, of that growing new leadership group and to, to start inspiring the other players. And Because I asked um, James Madison about him out in Thailand before that ill-fated uh, game against Leicester that never happened in the end. Um, and he said that Basuma is one of those who'd really surprise him in training, how good he is. He didn't realise quite how good he was. And he said... He told me when we were talking about that as well. And he said, you can see how demanding he is in training session, how he talks to everyone, how he wants this and he wants that. And he's constantly chattering away to everyone about how he wants the game to be played around him. And that's that's a leader. That That's a midfield general kind of type. Um, and that's what's fascinating about the whole Postacoglu change behind the scenes is that we've been used to a leadership group that was very much Hugo Lloris, Harry Kane, um, Eric Dyer, Pierre Mohoibier, and I think Skippy was starting to come into that as a younger rep- a, a representative of the younger players while learning to be part of the, the group, uh, leadership group. That has now transformed. And, you know, you've got Sonny, Romero, Madison's come in, uh, and I, I presume Basuma is going to start moving towards that leadership group. I think Skippy may still be part of it as the youth representative. Um, I think everyone sees Skippy as a potential future kind of leader of the team. Um, so, yeah, I think that's really interesting as well, seeing this brand new aspect. I think Basuma is going to be just a huge part. As long as he can steer clear of injury, he's going to be a big part of things. And Postacoglu said he was superb yesterday, said he'd been outstanding throughout pre-season. This was just kind of a, the, the continuation of that as well. Um, and, yeah, I really liked his partnership with Madison as well. You know, I spoke there about Madison praising him a couple of weeks back and do you get the impression those two are going to be the fulcrum of the Tottenham midfield this season? Very much so. Uh, Yeah, I thought those were probably the two standout plays uh, for Tottenham in the draw at Brentford. Uh, Obviously, we'll go into Madison 
in a bit, but you can see both of them, both of them, you know, trying to make things happen. They're demanding, they want the ball, you know, they're pulling the strings and that's what you want from your two midfielders. And I think Ange Postacoglu did have a big decision to make in terms of his midfield going into the game because uh, Pape Metasaz had a really good pre-season Giovanni Lacelso's impressed as well and it was Oliver Skip who did score two goals in Barcelona a few days before who got the nod and the best thing about this Tottenham midfield is I think you've got Bissouma and Madison who are you guarantee two starters at the moment and you've got Rodrigo Bentoncourt to come back and if he can hit the levels he did last season that then Tottenham's midfield you know could be as good as anyone's in the Premier League when you're looking at it at the moment because Liverpool have a, a brand new midfield. You don't know how they're going to fare. Chelsea as well. Uh, obviously, Arsenal and City have strong midfields, but I think Tottenham's can be right up there with them uh, this season. And With got, Premier League experience as well. Yeah, very much so. Uh, as I was saying, Basuma just looks more like the player he was at Brighton, and I think he's only going to get better under uh, Ange Postacoglu, and it's just baffling that where... Where was, where was his minutes last season under Conte? Especially when he's playing like the football he did uh, yesterday at Brighton and through pre-season. So, yeah, then obviously Tottenham have some good attacking options, uh, but they have some very, very impressive uh, midfield options who can be a driving force in whether they're finishing the top four come May or just outside. Yeah, yeah, they do. And I still think... Maybe one will go. Maybe it'll be Hoybier does head off. Um, and then you'd think they would look to bring in a, someone to replace him. But I think midfield is definitely a very strong area for Spurs now. I'd still like to maybe see another creative player, another Madison, just in case. Um, I know it's going to be difficult to find another Madison, but it's taken long enough to get him. Um, but you can definitely see how important Madison's going to be to this system. And my only fear would be if you then were to lose him, he has obviously had injury problems over the last couple of seasons, whether you can replace what he brings um, because it's so important in the system. So I'd like to see them bring in another there. But I mean, we can talk about Madison now. I mean, he's... W- w- what did you make of him yesterday? Really, really impressive. I thought he was always going to be uh, a big player for Tottenham uh, this summer following his move from Leicester and you know, right from the off, uh, made an impact. Obviously, got the assist for Romero's goal. Really good delivery, as I was saying at the start of the podcast. That's one of those. It's into such a dangerous area that he just needs a touch. And he also got the assist as well for uh, Emerson Royale's uh, goal. So two assists to his name already in his first Tottenham appearance. And I think there's an awful lot more to come from him. Uh, he, he was the one who set Richarlison up for that chance in the second half with yep. a really, really good pass. And yeah, I think there's just so many positives you can take uh, from James Madison's performance. And there is another one where, you know, Ange Postacoglu's system isn't quite there yet. He's going to take some time when we see it in full effect. So Madison's game's only gone to go from strength to strength, but, you know, Tottenham have made... Such a fantastic signing, and you know, for a bargain price as as well, he, he is going to be pivotal to what Tottenham do this season. And you know, 
losing Harry Kane, the number 10 shirt became vacant and I think Tottenham have uh, a very good new number 10 on the hands. Absolutely. I just love the unpredictability of what he can do because it's quite rare. You don't often get someone that's a terrific playmaker and has a great delivery, but is actually also as adept with their feet to dribble past someone. Um, And that's the difficulty I think the opposition has when James Madison is approaching them, that in one moment he can just do a little kind of swerve of his body, get past them, um, or he can stop the ball dead and absolutely ping in a delightful curling ball into the path of someone. And it's what makes him so dangerous. And that's why, you know, that season, I know last season was a little bit injury hampered, but the season before, his goals and assist tally was just ridiculous because he's got the ability to to do both, to ghost in. And unless it was completely wrong, I'm sure I saw a tweet that wasn't he the only player in Europe's top leagues over the weekend to have got two assists in the first game? I think. Obviously, not all leagues have started yet, but the ones that had, uh, or it may have just been the Premier League. I may have gotten overexcited. But uh, either way, I think he had six key passes on the day. Like you say, assists for both the goals. Second one, Having watched it back, he actually does well to scoop it out as he's whacked and brought down to the ground. Um, players have really taken to him. Um, I've written before that he's become a real kind of strong voice already in the dressing room, real breath of fresh air. That's why he's been made a vice captain. Um, and he was surprised, wasn't he? I think you said when your interview with him yesterday, he wasn't expecting that. Yeah, I asked him that. Uh, he had no idea as well. He did say it was a. Uh... A nice surprise and obviously if anyone's not seen the video yet do have a look uh, it is a really good video especially with uh, Son being named captain and just all the players in front of him I think it was like Davinson Sanchez and Sergio Reguilón just looking behind him and then Son obviously going up to do his little speech and clapping every few words uh, I think <laughs> which you picked up on um, I loved it but no, it's, it's great and it just shows what an impression Madison's made uh, in, what, six or seven weeks since yeah. uh, joining up with the rest of the team. Obviously, he wore the captain's armband a number of times uh, during his time at Leicester. So he's obviously got that leadership uh, ability and I think he's just going to come to the forefront now Uh him at Tottenham because it is, you know, quite an honour for it to be bestowed on him just, you know, so soon after making the move. And I think that's only going to help him grow as a, a player and a person as well. And I just think Ange Postacoglu's system's made for him. I know he did so well at Leicester in terms of goals and assists season before last, as you alluded to. I think it might have been 30-plus mm, for lot. both. He could quite easily match those numbers this season. I mean, he's made a great start with two assists and there's just so much more to come from him. 100%. I mean, Ange was asked on in one of the sections of his press conference on Friday about, you know, having to match the silly prices that we're seeing being paid for players, you know, like Casida going for 115 million and all of this. And then these, and he said... You don't have to do that," he said. "It's you, you know. Obviously, there's they're very good players that people are buying for that sort of money. But he just pointed straight to Madison and he said, James Madison. You know, obviously, he's a forty million pound player because of his contract situation. And he said, it's about getting the perfect player for your system. And he said, and it doesn't mean that they have to be a huge price. 
he said we it's, you know it could end up being one of the bargains of the summer james madison i don't think you could pick a better player in the premier league pretty much for the postacoglu system because of like i say his ability to his movement as well as his passing and we saw it yesterday he was leading the press for a long long kind of time especially his fitness levels are terrific. Um, so to have someone that's that mobile, that creative, and a threat in front of goal, it's perfect. And this growing leadership thing, because I think, as we were saying with Basuma, I think it's fair to say that Madison was seen maybe as one of the lads that's been one of the things maybe that's been held against him over the years. But obviously, off-the-pitch stuff changes you. You know, he's got had a little boy a couple of years ago, became a dad, just had twins his partners had in the last couple of weeks just before he went off on tour all of that contributes to kind of i just guess people just growing up and maturing and maybe being more comfortable in their own skin and and having a different outlook on life and and the priorities and ever since he's come in that's the sense that everyone's got he's i mean you would have i obviously spoke to him out on the tour you spoke to him yesterday after the game you can see he's a very articulate clever chap he understands the game as well you can see he's a bit of a reader of the game you know i do wonder whether he's the type that might end up going on to be like a manager one day or something going into coaching after he definitely understands the the tactical elements of the game and and it's those kind of players that postacoglu will love because you've got to be clever i think to take on the amount of information that he loads on his players um and definitely madison falls into that category and i'm really really excited that if he can stay fit I think he, and I think it's very fitting that he's taken a number 10 shirt. Um, while obviously we'll associate for a long, long time Harry Kane with the number 10 shirt and, you know, he's one of the greatest players that's ever played for Spurs. But I think if anyone was going to take on that responsibility and quite probably smash it as well, it's James Madison. I think it's the perfect number for him. Um, and you get that. Some players will take on these shirts that have been steeped in tradition and history before and they will they will shrink from it it's been too much for them i think james madison is one of the other kind i think they will relish it and he'll want to be a leader and he'll want to prove his worth that it's a shirt that he very much i mean he's even joking i saw the match today interview afterwards where they were saying like oh you know that's a big number on your back and he was like looking around going no no, it's only small there are only small numbers on the back there kind of thing he's like he's just he's just gonna laugh it off and he's just gonna get on with it um and i'm very excited to see what he's going to be like as a postacogri player before we discuss another couple of players' performances in the game at Brentford, Ali, do you want to let everyone know about the benefits of using NordVPN? Of course. If you're not aware by now, the Golden Guest Talk Tottenham podcast is sponsored by NordVPN and you can use the service in a host of different ways to enhance your internet experience. NordVPN is the fastest VPN in the world and that means there's no buffering, no lagging, and you can stream your favourite shows from anywhere in the world without your bandwidth throttling. It's a service I've used so, so many times over the years, whether it be for work or personal reasons. <laughs> personal reasons, it sounds like kind of some sad <laughs> or even dodgy thing. It's not. It's just me headed off on a holiday and occasionally wanting to be able to watch the shows and sports and things that I pay for back home. Um, but for some unknown reason, when you head abroad, there's restrictions in what you can do and what you can uh, use on services that you're already paying for. So the beauty of something like NordVPN is that you can just set your device to thinking it's back home in the UK and you can watch the things that you've paid for to be able to watch. 
Um, and, you know, it's not only that, but the outlay on a NordVPN subscription is cheaper for you in the long run. And that's because you can purchase streaming services or bookings from other countries at a much cheaper rate. Um, I mean, for example, you could book flights from another country and that can be cheaper too. So it means you're paying out for Nord, but you're actually saving money overall. There's a whole host of other benefits from signing up to NordVPN, so why not give it a go? You can grab your exclusive NordVPN deal by going to nordvpn.com forward slash gold guest to get a huge discount off your NordVPN plan plus four additional months for free. It's completely risk-free with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee. Right, we've spoken in depth about three debutants uh, in the game at the GTEC Community Stadium. Then one other player we need to discuss is Guglielmo Vicario. Obviously, we've touched on him briefly. His debut uh, in the Tottenham shirt. Ali, what did you make of his 90 minutes on the pitch? I thought I thought it was mixed, but I think there's very good reasons for that. I think he's... It was his Premier League debut. Very, very different competition to Serie A. And I think you can't escape the fact that he's playing in front of such a new, un, not properly formed back four. I mean, one of them, Christian Romero, he only played with for 10 minutes before he headed off the pitch, or 11 minutes. Uh, Mickey van der Ven, he's never played with. Literally had a couple of training sessions. And Destiny Dog, obviously, obviously a very young player playing out wide. So I thought the way that really manifested itself was there were so many moments when Vicario didn't know whether to rush out or stay on his goal. And we saw him hesitate. We saw him start to come, then go back. And a lot of that is because he doesn't know what those centre-backs and defenders are going to do yet. He doesn't know which one of them prefer to rush out, which one of them will stay back and help him, which ones are quick enough to deal with certain threats. Um, And I think that ended up in just some miscommunication at times. Um, and the one time he did rush out, we had that kind of like, ooh moment where we thought maybe is this going to be a penalty or not? But it did look like, I think the official reasoning was that it didn't hamper, who was it he brought down? I forgot. Uh, Shada, I think it's Shada. pronounced the striker who came on in the second half. Yeah, it didn't actually affect the chance because the effort had already been had. It got away and he actually was brought down after any further chance he would have had to have got the ball. I think that's the official explanation. Some people have pointed out, you know, there's a bit of inconsistency because there's been other incidents where that hasn't been the case. Decisions have have been made. Uh, But overall, yeah, he made a a few kind of, I'd say, comfortable saves. Um, As we were talking about social media and the ridiculousness of it, and we're going to talk about that a little bit more to come. I think we've seen this strange kind of Vicario's rubbish. <laughs> Some of that. Like, what? It's not even played yet. This is his first Premier League game. And I, do you know what? I don't actually think he's been properly tested yet either. I would say that a lot of the stuff that's come at him has been point black stuff that most keepers wouldn't save. I mean, yesterday was a, a penalty. That that's we know that's a bit of a lottery. It can go either way, um, quite literally. And uh, the second goal was very unfortunate. It was just Van der Ven getting a little touch that took it over him. He probably would have saved it had Van der Ven not made that little intervention. Um, and it's just about him getting to know the defence, growing as a character and being very vocal in it as well. And he needs to dominate that back four and tell them what to do. Um, I have no concerns about him at all, to be honest, at this point in time, because 
this guy was one of the best keepers in Serie A for the last couple of years. He was just raved about for the way he would play. The only thing I saw, which was something that I do think is going to be worked on on him in the coach, actually it's two things, the, go- the goalkeeping coach, uh, Rob Birch, is going to have to work with him on. One is his slight uh, occasional, um, how do I put this, way of parrying shots forward into the box rather than wide. That's definitely something, because I think he's got such a confidence in himself and his reactions to save follow-up shots I think maybe he isn't drilled enough to push the ball out sideways. And there was one moment when he did that, and thankfully he did. The follow-up was a bit of a weak one. He was able to gather it. So that's something that's going to be worked on. And the other thing I think is just the ball at his feet. Um, Naturally, it's something he didn't have to do too much with Empoli, but it was always a feeling that he could do it um, if required. So um, I'm trying to think... whether he played outfield or he's trying to remember if he told us, I think he did play outfield as a youngster before he became a goalkeeper. I think, I can't remember. We did a really good interview with him out in Australia on the tour. Um, But yeah, the footwork stuff, that will come. I think it got better as the game wore on yesterday as well, as he grew more comfortable and settled and knowing what he's going to do and, and knowing again, it's a once again, it's down to knowing where the players are going to be around you. So if you're a goalkeeper and you know you've got to pass and you look up and you panic and think, oh, where are the players I'm supposed to pass to? Whereas once this system is drilled into them and it becomes instinct, they'll all know where each other will be to pass to in any given moment. And that will come for Vicario as well. So, yeah, I think maybe Arsenal about to sign Raya has been a kind of a, a trigger for some fans to worry about Vicario. Personally, I think that's. I still think that's a weird move. Arsenal <laughs> going for Ryan. Yeah. Ramsdale seems so kind of locked in as the number one goalkeeper. I, I know fans love to see competition, but I think in the goalkeeper spot, especially, that's going to be uh, someone's going to be very unhappy at Arsenal this season. I think, um, and I, I did think that was a bit of an interesting move, but I don't think it should reflect on Vicario at all. I think Vicario's a big talent, a very well respected goalkeeper on the continent. And, you know, Inter Milan were set to go for him. He was going to be, it was a widely held that he was going to be their next goalkeeper. So, yeah, let him settle. You know, we're, we're so quick as fans and journalists sometimes to criticise foreign players coming into a new league when we've barely seen anything of them. You know, I mean, we remember back to the Brighton game when Kudusevsky made his debut and people were saying, oh, he's Bambi on ice. And then he went on the most ridiculous run of assists and goals and stuff. Um, and we've seen it with so many. I just spoke earlier about Berbatov, you know, having a bit of a tough debut against Bolton and then went on to become such an amazing player. Um, yeah, don't, don't judge people on their first few minutes in a brand new system trying to work out what brand new teammates are going to do around them. Um yeah, I think Vicaro will be fine. We'll be fine. We'll uh, we'll judge him. It's probably better off. We'll look at halfway through the season and how he's got on in his first six months or so, and then we'll know a lot more about him. Yeah, we were speaking about him uh, in the press room just before we went out, and uh, I likened it to David De Gea when he first moved to yeah. Manchester United in 2011, and might be one of these where obviously the keeping needs to get used to uh, the demands of the Premier League because it's a lot different to obviously football in Italy and Spain and you've got your powerful, you know, strikers who are going to challenge for the ball, what might not be the case in other football leagues. And yeah, there's going to be times where 
errors creep into his game, but it's just about getting used to it. And, you know, if he can be half as good as the Gea was for Manchester United, then Tottenham are going to have very good goalkeeper on the hands. Uh, there was a couple of, you know, maybe shaky moments yesterday in terms of his play. Uh, there was didn't an example in the second half when he was trying to play the ball out from the back to Davinson Sanchez and he went straight out of play. So I don't know if that's yeah. maybe on Vicario or was it Sanchez's positioning. Yeah, but we it's one of sure these. sure it was somewhere in the middle, wasn't it? Yeah, it's one of these that will be worked upon. And as you were saying, it's it's a brand new backline he's playing, you know, yeah. behind and he's going to have to get used to the players and how exactly they play and where they need to be on the pitch. And I, I agree with you in terms of the fact that I don't think he was really tested in pre-season. Did he have any, like showy saves to make? If he'd he, had those, he, people might have been like, ooh, kind of thing. He did at the end of the Shakhtar game. Uh, yes. He tipped one over the crossbar and I think he saved a free kick from Alonso in the Barcelona game. So he's had a couple of moments, but no, he's... It's not being tested a lot. And then again, are you really going to be when Tottenham have 70% of the possession in games? Yeah. You're not always going to be tested. But yeah, some uh, good signs, some, you know, maybe of a bit of a worry. But I think fans are just going to have to get used to Tottenham taking risks at the back under Ange Postacoglu. And it's just one of these is... Is is time really the need there? Uh, time on the training pitch, time in matches, and then you know when it comes into full effect, then I think it really is going to be uh, something special. But now I was also going to bring up the fact that he does like to parry the ball out. Yeah. Uh, before he joined Tottenham, obviously there was a clip doing the rounds on social media of this outstanding. It was either double save or triple save aroma. And it all came from him parrying the ball out when he maybe could have yeah. collected it. So, yeah, another thing we're going to have, have to get used to. But I'm sure that's something that Rob Birch, the goalkeeping coach, will be working with him on and, you know, ensuring that that isn't always the case for him when it comes to making a save. Right, we'll move to the other end of the pitch now and Richarlison's performance. Uh, I think quiet, to say the least. Not a number of... Uh, opportunities on goal from him really yeah I agree with Postacoglu on him I think he made a couple of loose touches which didn't help him but I did think that as Postacoglu said Spurs didn't use him enough that was a major issue you know I think is that a byproduct of you know the whole left by Harry Kane and that Harry Kane was such an all-encompassing force that if Harry Kane was standing in front of you and he was free or even was demanding the ball and wasn't free, you'd give Harry Kane the ball. You'd just say, okay, yeah, yeah, do your magic, do your thing. And maybe with Richarlison, there's not quite that trust yet that, yeah, we'll give him the the ball. Maybe that's an element to it. But they'll get out of that. Because I did think there was a couple of moments when he held up the ball really well. Um, but I mean, you know, you look at the stats, he 34, that was the joint fewest touches of any starting player. That um, Richardson barely touched it, and look, he's not. When he comes deep, it's going to be more to hold up the ball. He's not going to come deep and create something amazing like Kane does. But then I don't know whether Postecoglou really wants that. I don't know if his system actually not allows for that, but works at its best when someone's doing that. And again, that is not me saying Spurs are better without Harry Kane. Absolutely not. Any system needs could be adapted to have Harry Kane in it. Um, 
But I thought, yeah, you know, people know, I've, I've kind of said this enough times on the podcast that Richarlison's got a lot of work to do for me. He's a £60 million signing that scored one Premier League goal last season. If he is to, if Spurs are to share out the load that has been left by Harry Kane, Madison will take on the creative stuff and the goals will be shared out, but ultimately still there needs to be a striker that's going to get a bulk of them. Um, you know, we saw it was uh, um, Kyogo, isn't it, in uh, Celtic. Um, is that how you pronounce it? I haven't murdered the pronunciation there. Yeah. Um, and Richarlison will be asked to do that. He'll be asked to probably be at least a 20-goal-a-season striker. Um, I don't think, has he ever scored 20 goals in a season? Uh, no, I don't think no. so. So that is something he's going to have to add to it. And people rightly point out he is Brazil's number nine. He is, as, as I said, a £60 million signing. So the Postacoglu system will, when they figure it out with him, will create a lot of chances for him. Um, and he's going to have to start taking them. So that's the pressure that comes with the role. Um, and I guess we'll see now kind of what happens with him. He certainly is a hard worker. He sacrifices himself for the team, made a lot of good runs and movement that wasn't spotted. I think Madison definitely spotted him a few times, threw little through balls that maybe were just too overhit for him to get onto. I thought um, Kulisevsky and Son didn't give him enough ammunition. I thought everything seemed to come through Madison for him. And I wonder whether that's a byproduct. We were trying to work it out in the game. I don't think Richarlison, Son and Kulisevsky have played yet together in the Postacoglu system. I don't, unless it's for like minutes we're talking about. I don't think they have because of the the way the friendlies have been split up into halves and different teams. I can't think off the top of my head whether they have, but I don't think so. And I mean, some people have been saying, and I, I understand it to a degree that if, you know, as Postacoglu said, Harry Kane told him on day one that he wanted to leave, why then did he not spend pre-season drilling Richarlison into the, the front three? I get that. I also understand from a club perspective, it wasn't guaranteed that Harry Kane was going to go just because he wanted to. Um, you're, if you don't involve him in any way, then you're saying you definitely want him to go and you're going to have to accept a... a fee that you know was probably 30 40 million pound less and while people might say who cares about the money that 30 40 million could go to a very good madison van der ven type to bring in for the you know the rest of the window so yeah i i can kind of understand it all um but i think they're now playing a little bit of catch up when it comes to richarlison within this little group of players um it looked a little bit rusty um, but yeah, we'll see. Postacoglu loves him. He's got a real kind of soft spot for him. So if anyone's going to try and make it work, it will be Postacoglu. And you know, I I wouldn't say I doubt Richarlison because I do think he's got it in him. I think we've seen moments of real quality from him. Um, there were a couple of moments where he got himself into the right position for Mod Madison passes, but just the finish was a little bit weak. And I think there's a confidence element as well. Um, you saw that. I know it was Lion City Sailors, but after he scored the first goal against them, the next two goals were lovely. They were really confident clinical finishes. And I think that's just part of the striker's game. They do need that little bit of confidence. So I don't think he'll be given a lot of time. I think he's got a set amount of time to prove that he can take on the role and be the first choice. I think there will be other options. I think... Sonny through the middle should not be ruled out at all. I think, well, Postacoglu actually admitted 
the, on Friday that that's a very strong possibility that he will play there because he. I think the key things we've said this before is that with Spurs, the majority of their crosses coming into the box from open play are often low crosses. It doesn't mean it has to be a big kind of player that's going to score a lot of headed goals. It can be someone that's just going to finish off stuff. And we know Sonny is a goal scorer. So he could do that. And then you could bring in transfers that supplement the wing winger roles uh, with Sonny playing through the middle. Or it could be another player in. Uh, we know there's a fair few kind of linked with that we're going to talk about in a moment. But... Uh, yeah, I don't think, again, same with Vicario at the other end. I don't think you rush to judgment just yet. I think you need to give it a fair few games. Richarlison obviously has played in the Premier League, so he'll get a little bit less time in terms of the judging time. Um, and ultimately, I guess he will be judged on goals. So uh, I know I know your thoughts on Richarlison, and I'm sure you, you'll think he'll come good. Yeah, I do eventually. I think it's just one of these where he needs to run the games because he didn't have that last year. And also, think he's one of these as well where he probably just needs a goal and he'll look a completely different player because I think it was unlucky at times last season, a number of disallowed goals. And I think he scored one against Forrest. And when you watch that back, you wouldn't have thought that was a player who was suffering with, you know, uh, a low confidence. But no, uh, I think he can come good. It just didn't really happen for him yesterday. Uh couple of good moments. There was a really good turn on the edge of the area uh, early in the second half where he managed to get into the box, but it just didn't quite yeah. happen for him in terms of the final yeah, outcome. Feet. I forgot about that. It was really nice. Yeah, move, yeah. it was. And uh, unlucky with that shot that uh, Flecken saved after Madison played him through. Uh, Were you what? surprised he and Sonny didn't switch up more often and like change places? That's what I was going to say to you in terms I of... I read your mind. That's uh, what it was. Yeah, uh, Son's an option through the middle. Rich Allison's played on the left before, and especially when you've got such a young left back in Destiny Doggy who maybe needs a bit of cover from the left, maybe Rich Allison would be the better option there, maybe in terms of tracking back because you know how hard he works and that. Uh, but it's only tracked it's back. It's unfortunate it brought the penalty. It does. <laughs> Uh, it's options for Postacoglu and that's uh, only a good thing because you just don't want players who are set for one position uh, but yeah R- Richie just hoping he can have uh, a bit more luck against Manchester United but what I would also say in terms of the front three from yesterday I thought Kuliseski and Son maybe could have offered a bit more they certainly weren't at the peak of the powers I think everything was coming through uh, Madison in terms of uh, creative sense but then again, uh, when have they played together? They just really haven't have this. I mean, it's the same in terms of the back line. You've got a new back line. You've got a new forward line. You're playing in a new system as well. It's just one of these. It's just got to be repetition and time. And yeah, fingers crossed it will come good for Rich Allison. Yeah. It's not just a game of FIFA, is it? There's people, I think they just see it sometimes as... You play a computer game of football, you shove a player in, they'll play as you control them to play. That's just not how it works in real life. It's Players have to gel. They have to understand each other's movement. They have to understand each other's game and, and what they need to do compared to the other person. And all ends of the pitch. Even ones who like Kudusevsky, Son and Richardson, who will have played together at times last season, but it was such a different system. It's so different. And the thinking and the logic and the understanding of what they're meant to do is so different. Um, 
So, yeah. And, and the interesting thing, I think, I mean, we can kind of go slightly into transfers when it comes to this element, is is what Postacoglu wants. Because I think we all assumed that people, they would bring in a natural number nine to supplement Richarlison. And we, I hate to say the word replace Harry Kane because he is irreplaceable. You, you're just not going to. It's like... Postacoglu used that lovely analogy of, you know, as my wife says, you uh, you can go into Gucci and you can buy something that's a one-off, but if you try and buy it again, uh, it's often it's a knockoff and it's not quite the same as the original kind of thing if you get it from elsewhere. Um, and that's the case. But I actually thought one of his quotes from Friday in one of the separate sections was was quite interesting. It's, it's whether you want to read it as a bit of a bluff to not put prices up in transfer market, but I don't think that helps because as soon as you go to a club wanting a striker, they're naturally going to put it up because they know you just got 100 million rising to 120 million for Harry Kane. But this is what Postacoglu said. We're not going to be out there tomorrow looking for a number nine to replace Harry. That's not the strategy that's already in place. What we're looking to do is make sure we have a stronger team, a stronger squad to play the football we want and develop over the next period of time. So that, for me, doesn't exactly scream we're going to sign a big number nine to come in and play that role. Um, and obviously, we saw Italy immediately. There were reports out there about Romelu Lukaku, who I don't think you could get a less fitting striker for the Postacoglu system that requires constant running and pressing up front. Um and yeah, Spurs very quickly kind of distanced themselves from any such move. I get the impression that maybe that's a little battle between a couple of Italian clubs trying to outpsych each other as they're trying to go for Lukaku from Chelsea um, and convincing the other one that there's someone else there. So, oh, you've got to make your move. Um, I think, ironically, as they were playing Brentford, Ivan Tony would be a great kind of player for the system. I'd, obviously not now because he's got his ban. But I, I certainly know Spurs really like Tony, and I would imagine in January that's something we see. Whether it's it's a difficult one because if I'm Ivan Tony, obviously everyone has their ambitions. But would you feel that you could leave Brentford just like a month or two or whatever it is after coming back from a ban that you've kind of robbed them of your time? I don't know whether that would be as achievable or not. But then. I certainly think he would fit the system perfectly with his movement and his, his ability in front of goal. And I think in the meantime, Spurs maybe look for a, a younger data-led option. You know, someone like Gift Orban, we know they really like, 21-year-old prolific Ghent striker who obviously... <coughs> excuse me, it sounded like I was crying about Gift Orban there. It was just my throat going... Um, Obviously, we see his numbers and we see the YouTube highlights and he's an incredible talent. I think there's a lot of people in Belgium that think, okay, he's maybe not ready to be a constant regular starter in Premier League yet. He's very young and very raw. But certainly, I think Gift Orban fits the mould of you could start to bring him in and around the team and he would pull a lot of pressure on Richarlison. He's not a natural number nine, but he is someone that will play through the middle but can also play out wide or as a support striker. Um, but certainly his goal record suggests a real finisher, um, I think, and that would be a classic Spurs move of tying up a striker that I think within a year or two will be someone that all of Europe will desperately want. Um, and then you've got someone like Brendan Johnson, who probably operates more naturally out wide and 
as a support striker, but also can very much play through the middle if required. Um, I know Fabio Paratici was a big fan of his, um, scouted him when he was scouting Jed Spence, Johnson, and I think it was James Garner at the time, obviously now with your lot. Um, and I don't think, you know, either of those two players would be a bad addition to the, to the, the group. Um, yeah, like like I say, much depends on on whether he sees Sonny as the backup to Richarlison. Uh, no, Sonny's not a backup. You know what I mean in terms of or another option to play through the centre. Personally, I think Gift Orban would be very exciting, and I think he would if they could would make a move there. I think we're going to talk about this in the transfers bit, but everything relies on getting players out the door now. It's not so much a financial thing; it's more a fact that the just squad is so bloated. It is huge. And Postacoglu said a load of times now, the focus is in getting those players out the door and then he can see what he still needs in various positions and where he's short. Because he said the worst thing would be is to not do all of those deals until late in the window. And at the last minute, you're losing people and then trying to chase to fill gaps in your squad. And that can't be the way that they do it. So uh, what would you like to see done in that position? Uh could you just to add on to that question? Sorry, would you like to see them make? Because the other potential is a statement signing. Is that I don't know? They try to go for like a Vlajevic, let's say someone like that, or oh, who's the young player playing in Germany? It's gone out of my head. Is it Moani? I can't remember the Colo name. Colo Moani from Frankfurt. Yes, the French yes. international. Yeah. Yes, he would be a huge signing, big money. Uh, would you like to see them make a statement signing or would you like to see them maybe go for a, a younger player who could be terrific and then maybe go for a Tony in January? Uh, I think Colo Moani would be a really good signing if they get him, probably someone who fits Postacoglu's system. A statement like 80 million for him, isn't there? I think that's it. So then if you're spending that on him, how much more do you have left for? other options uh mm. but that would be a, a statement signing it'd make premier league clubs you know stand up and take notice uh, i said on the previous podcast if you're looking at a striker ivan turney ollie watkins evan ferguson watkins yes in, oh, i love evan ferguson but there's no way he's coming out of there right now is there but in terms of ivan turney obviously he's banned until towards the end of january if you wanted to move from is it january, that late yeah, yeah, it's, 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 it's sometime in January, I think. It's when they play Tottenham. Spurs. Tottenham Brentford yeah. is the first game is available for again. So if you're going to move for Tony in January, why can't you move for him now and just get him used to Postacoglu's ways and then have him in the he team straight away? He's not allowed to train. Well, I've just checked. He can't oh, train. Oh, hello, get the info, go on. I was going to say, obviously, I know he can't train but apparently he can't train until halfway through his ban. So ah. September the 17th is when he can train again. So why not move for him now? Have him train with the team from September and then he's ready to go. He knows Postacoglu's ways. He knows the players inside out and then go with Tony leading the line come the end of Good January. Job. Ethically, does it look a bit iffy to sign a player currently on a betting ban? Maybe not, know, but at the end of the I know day, this is the team that have just accepted a, a Russian bid for a player and the Super League stuff. So yeah, I know they don't always look at the aesthetics. Yeah, but once he served his ban, he can play again. So thirtieth yeah. of January, by the way, that's when right. Spurs host. Okay, Brentford. that's so right yeah. at the end of the window. 
It is, yeah. Uh, yeah, so why not move for Tony now? Then other options. I know we've discussed Brendan Johnson, another good one at Forest, Morgan Gibbs White. I think he can play out wide. Yeah. I think he's played through the middle for Forest as well. Uh, he's a good option. Eze, it'd be a fantastic signing from Crystal Palace, but he'd cost, he'd cost top dollar. And uh, Elise. I like Elise as well. I was going to say Elise as well, but I mean, they've lost Wilfred Zaha already uh, this summer. So, I mean, you can remember when there was always the talk of Zaha gone to go to a big club and Palace wanted 80 million and everyone was saying, well, he's not worth that. But that's what it was actually worth to Palace because, you know, he'd keep him in the Premier League year after year. So, Mm. Obviously, Palace are going to want serious money for as uh, a or release, but I think there'd be really good options. So, where That'd is be it? a statement signing though? I think fans would be happy with as a. Maybe that's not. What I mean. No, that's what I mean. Yeah. As in, they would be a statement signing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Maybe not statement signing in terms of a, a Kolo Mouani, but still mm. a very good Premier League player who could make an impact. And they said to yesterday. Why on earth didn't they just sign him when he was at QPR? Because there was all this interest <laughs> in him. They just saved so, so much money. You could say but, about Madison. Madison way back in Coventry days, you know. Why yeah, they? but you know what would happen if they did sign him from QPR? It probably just turned out like the Jack Clark situation. It never got uh, a kick on the pitch and then had to move elsewhere. And then obviously uh, Jack Clark's impressing in the Championship now and has been linked with a move back to the Premier League since. But... Yeah, it, it might not be an out-and-out number nine, but I think there's some really good options there in terms of your Brennan Johnsons, your Eze's and that. So I suppose it's just over two weeks now until the transfer deadline on Friday, September the 1st. So we'll see how things pan out in terms of Tottenham strengthening up front. Right, someone who has been in the headlines then uh, over the past week or so is Eric Dyer. He wasn't in the match day squad yesterday for the game at Brentford, which I think was a bit of a surprise, really, because he has just been an ever present basically in the squad ever since his move from Sporting CP in 2014. So, I mean, it raises questions now about his place in the pecking order. He said earlier in the podcast there was a bit of talk over a move to Saudi Arabia, and uh, it's fair to say. <laughs> It has been in the headlines quite a bit this week. It's been more so in the in the tweets or X's yeah. or whatever we're supposed to call them now. What are they? Are they are they even called tweets anymore? I think everyone's going to refer to it as Twitter still and tweets because it has been for what fifteen years or so. So yeah, I don't know. Or oh, very quickly on Eze, I was just about to say technically, as he plays in a bit of a deeper role, you could end you could have him in a very attacking midfield three, couldn't you? You could, um, yeah. But yeah, Eric Dyer, oh my goodness. If you want a perfect example of social media at its absolute, well, not absolute worst, but certainly getting down there in the most ridiculous way social media can be, just take a look at what's been said about Eric Dyer this week. I mean, wow. It's like people at Spurs, there's people around Eric Dyer, and I'm sure Eric Dyer himself have just been like, what the heck? What is that? What? It just all emerged from absolutely nothing. So if, if you're if you're one of the people that has kind of been told this and is not actually aware of the reality of it. So what was claimed was that Eric Dyer, in a fit of anger over being snubbed for the Tottenham Hotspur captaincy, 
unfollowed Tottenham on Instagram and removed all mention of the club from his bio. The actual truth behind that is not only had he not followed Spurs or England or any football outfit that he's played for for years, he never had them on his bio. If you look at Eric Dyer's Instagram, it is pretty much an account based purely towards his business, which I think is spotless, isn't it? It's like the restaurant thing. Or it's him just on holiday or mucking around with his dogs. That is pretty much the extent of Eric Dyer's Instagram account. So this ridiculous idea, um, and actually his Instagram story had had loads of like training pics in the days before as well. Um, Then that wasn't quite enough. What then happened next was, as again happens on Twitter, is that someone, we'll call them mischievous rather than the actual word we should probably use for them, um, they decide I'm going to create something else that is absolutely fake and I'm going to pass it off as real because if people want to believe something enough, they'll spread that. So what happened was someone very carefully cropped uh, a post that Eric Dyer did back in March they cropped it so you couldn't see the date. And then it was Eric Dyer's dog talking to him, or not talking to him, but that would have been an amazing video. It was Eric Dyer's dog facing him and saying, who's captain now? What that actually was, was Eric Dyer back in March, it was a reference to the movie Captain Phillips starring Tom Hanks. And it was just his dog essentially laughing, like doing that, kind of saying, who's captain now? So what this Twitter user did was cropped out the date and put it out there and said, Eric Dyer has just posted this about Harry Kane leaving um, and then quickly deleted it because it's unprovable, isn't it? You can't can't go, ah, ah, well, it's deleted. Of course, it's not going to be there now. No, 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 it is. In March, if anyone just scrolled down, it was like the easiest thing to disprove of anything that's ever appeared on social media. You just had to go down. Um, And it was just this real indictment of how if people want to believe something about someone, they will. Um, And it was incredible. Um, And what actually happened was that this week, and I presumably, like I said at the top of it, um, just purely to stop the noise, Eric Dyer started following Tottenham on Instagram. (laughs) And it was just like, he didn't even have to do that. It's so ridiculous. And then I saw his Instagram stories suddenly had uh, training ground stuff. It had, what do you call it? Um, uh, A post of the squad with something like, I wrote it down here. What was it? Um, was it Let's Go Boys underneath it and all this sort of stuff. Like I said, whether Eric Dyer is doing that or probably more likely just someone is doing that for him as a social media person, it's just so ridiculous. It's so ridiculous that people go to the lengths of trying to create this thing around him. Uh, and, the, and the issue is, and we know this from social media, is that false stuff just spreads far easier than the truth it absolutely does um so what will happen is in six months time let's say if eric dyer is still at the club you or i will have a conversation with a fan or whether it be on social media or in in actual real life and they'll say oh yeah but he kicked up a right fuss didn't he when he didn't become captain and it'll all have come from the silliness of these tweets that were never true and instagram post stuff 
and it sticks. It really does stick. It's such a ridiculous thing, and people will spread it on WhatsApp, and it's mad. And then we had, just to further it, this odd tweet that went out about he'd agreed and moved. Uh, he is a Saudi, a player of a Saudi team. I can't remember which of the Saudi teams it was now. And it was just like, it was complete nonsense. So the word came straight out from within Spurs of, well, no, he can't be a player for them. He's training today at Spurs because <laughs> he wasn't in the Spurs squad. He's been training at the club with the other players that weren't in the squad. And then kind of everything coming out from around Eric Dyer's like, side of things, his camp was like, no, it's just nonsense. All sides it was coming from, this, this is just not the case whatsoever. And also there's probably another element to it of, of maybe when you go down like an ethical road of things as well. I think things that Eric Dyer said in the past as well would not maybe lend itself to a, a move to Saudi Arabia. There's a whole other branch of things if you want to go down that rabbit hole. Um, and it just goes down to, again, people want to believe stuff, they'll believe it. And it's so sad because it just, you know, whatever you want to think about Eric Dyer and, you know, some of his performances last season were not good enough. We now know that he was carrying a groin injury throughout much of it that was getting progressively more and more painful that he had to have dealt with. So whether that needs to be factored in, I know some people won't and I know some people will. Ultimately, the way he's treated on social media is disgusting. It's so awful. It's like it used to be that I've said this in the past. So apologies to people that heard me say this before, but people that would give their all for a club would be kind of would be seen for that. They would see, be seen as someone that gave everything for the shirt. Um, and nowadays, in today's world, with, with social media and football, it, it's not seen as that. You're just, oh, it's, it's shocking sometimes. The things people say about people and then the lengths they'll go to abuse them. You know, Do I think, personally, that Eric Dyer is going to be a first-team starter if he sticks around at Spurs this season? No, no, I don't. I don't think he is. I think he will be, would be a backup. And I don't think he'd be the worst backup in the world. Like I say, I still have my doubts over whether he is better suited to the Postacoglu system than Davinson Sanchez is, let's say. Um, but it's just so unpleasant. It's just an unpleasant way of dealing with players. It's a bit like the Romero stuff when... You know, Conte would say that Romero would play for Spurs if he had like one leg kind of hanging off kind of thing. He would still play. For and we saw it yesterday. He wanted to play despite the fact that his head had been you know, bashed around a, a, a few times. And and But Romero would get abused for not wanting to play for Spurs and things like that. And yeah, I think I'd, I'd love it if the world were to reassess how we deal with other human beings. But I think the history of the world suggests otherwise. Um so sorry, that was my little rant on all things Eric Dyer, and we'll see what comes next for him. But yeah, what a ridiculous week for him. Yeah, he certainly doesn't look good for him at the moment in terms of the pecking order and no, by the fact that he was not. left out of uh, the playing squad. So yeah, with obviously less than a year left on his contract, now we'll have to see how that pans out. But I think if he's to remain at Tottenham this season, then it is going to be after have to get used to a bit part role uh unfortunately he wants to stay is the sense i'm getting but it comes to a point like you say does that actually work for everyone if if, if he's going to be like fifth choice kind of center back does it is is there any point to him doing that 
and, yeah. and with the contract situation. Yeah. Uh, another player we want to talk about now, or I think you want to talk about, is uh, Tongi Ondumbelli. <laughs> Who, what is uh, this, the rant section? We're already over an hour and a half, and now I'm into the rants. No, we know, just know how much you love uh, Tongi, so I'll I'll just leave this section to you, really. Uh, yeah, obviously there was a number of players not in the squad yesterday because it's just such a large playing squad at the moment. Uh, Tongi on Dembele was one of them. Obviously, a lot of people going into this summer thought that he could be uh, one of these players who returns from learn and becomes this, you know, key influence in Postacoglu's team given that really the system is made for him uh, but we've not seen him at all in pre-season uh, so yeah it's fair to say it's not looking very promising at all for the Frenchman uh, it's not it's really not um, it all started so brightly I think he came in with a, a, a good attitude and Postacoglu was a bit like, okay, yeah, this there's a player here. Let's see what we can do. He was all set to start that first game out in Perth in Australia. Got an ankle or a knock uh, just in training the night before. It didn't happen. And whatever happened, I think, from that point on, uh, just from everything I understand from behind the scenes, Postacoglu just kind of grew more and more unimpressed with his attitude, his application as preseason wore on. His timekeeping apparently as well has been called into question. And it's so disappointing. It's so, so disappointing. And I actually asked um, Postacoglu out in Barcelona about the fact that Tongi, uh, and at the time it was Joe Roden, weren't in the squad. And he said... Yeah, a little bit physically behind the rest as well. You know, the way we play, there's a bit that I need to be strong on, and that is that you've got to be at a certain physical level to play this kind of football. If you're not, it does no justice to the player themselves. But there's no doubt that we've got a big squad at the moment. There will be outgoings, and those decisions are going to be made by the club and the players themselves. And it was clear, just kind of what you're saying about Tongi there. And we've seen two very differing uh, paths taken by players who have come back. We've seen Giovanni Lo Celso come in, absolutely give everything, impress Postacoglu, and Postacoglu wants to keep him in the season ahead. And he could end up, who knows, he could force him his way into being that third member of that midfield and, and really smash it this season. And Tongi, who, again, people know my views on Tongi, and the amount of players that I've spoken to and people in the club that say, in training sessions, when he's out there, he is the most gifted player they've ever been on a training pitch. I think Gareth Bale said similar. This is a guy that's played at like Real Madrid with some of the greatest players ever in the game. But that's not enough. That's just not enough for a player. There's so much more to it. And, and I just can't believe or understand that a player who is, I mean, what is he, 26 Tongi now? Um, how... At this stage of his career, we're talking about yet another manager in the long list of coaches going back to his youth. You can dig up quotes from Tongi's youth from coaches that have said that he's got this incredible ability, but it's whether he could marry it with the not only the fitness, but the desire to make the most of it. And I just can't believe we're at this scenario. I mean, he won Serie A last season albeit in a bit part role from the bench constantly. Um, yet he's a player that the only real interest in him right now appears to be from Turkey, from a couple of clubs in Turkey. And that's not to do down the Turkish league, but let's be honest, it's not one of Europe's major leagues. It's not. And for a player that is one of the most gifted 
um, players, you know, in the game. I think that says a lot that those are the options now. And I know there's reports in France of whether he's actually interested in not going to Turkey that he might not be. But I just feel it's such a shame. It's such a sad situation for... He's 27 this year, Tongi. Um, and he has the potential to be one of the most special players that's played the game. But instead, I just have this real fear that he's going to be spoken about as a player that people just remember in passing when he hangs up his boots. So, oh, yeah, do you remember that guy that Spurs paid like 60-something million pounds for and he kind of never really ended up... The guy that, you know, trained during lockdown with Jose Mourinho when he knocked on his door and... He'll never be remembered for the kind of player he could really be, and I think that's so sad. And I'm sure, I'm sure Tongi himself has a completely different view on it, and I'm sure the people around Tongi have a completely different view on it. But the weight of history could just is on on him, and the weight of those coaches have all said the same. I mean, how many coaches can misunderstand a player? That's the saddest thing for me. It's such a waste of such a supreme talent. Um, you know. I just hope that something clicks, something turns around and he becomes the player that he's capable of being. Uh, it doesn't look like it's going to be at Tottenham. You know, he's had so many chances now to to make something at Tottenham and it hasn't worked out. It's got to be looked at as a massive transfer failure. It has to. There's no getting around it. I think the people involved who, you know, Poch wanted him a lot. I'm trying to remember back then was, would have been Steve Hitchin would have been part of driving that as well. And Poch wanted him. And Daniel Levy obviously was the one that pushed the button and paid the money for him. Probably has to be the biggest flop in Spurs history. I think he has to be when you take the price into account as well. Um, and, you know, this was a guy that admitted to me in an interview that within three weeks of joining Spurs, he wanted to leave because he found the first preseason too hard. And we know he wanted to leave um, in later summers. We've seen the all or nothing meeting between him and Daniel Levy and. Um, the chat was it Roberto? Is it Balboni? I'm trying to remember his name now. Um, who's like the, the player liaison officer and and trying to convince him to stay? And it's so sad because it's just such a waste wasted talent. Um, but yeah, there's nothing you can do. You know, you is uh, that old expression, isn't it? You can lead a horse to water, but you can't make them drink it. And um, with someone like Tonga, he just maybe just needs someone around him that just convinces him he can be so much more than he is because he could be incredible. He could be, but it all comes down to him at the end of the day. Uh, he needs to do more and there's only one person to blame, really. He can't look at anyone else. Uh, he might be one of these, comes to the end of his career. He might regret what happened. He might not. Uh, but, I mean, for a player of his quality and what he has in the locker you know clubs should be queuing up for his uh, services but that's just not been the case uh, when he went back to Leon on loan didn't pull up any trees there and you're thinking nope. given he was one of these four players who's basically surplus to requirements under Antonio Conte that Tottenham might be able to you know sell him on a permanent basis but you know that never came for him in the end and it was quite a late move on loan to Napoli uh, last summer and Tottenham are going to struggle to sell him permanently just because he's not performed. He might have no. impressed a couple of times at Napoli but you know 
the majority of his football came from the bench and I don't think he played at all in the final five or six games uh, under Luciano Spalletti uh, last season. So, yeah. Didn't Just, Spalletti berate him on the pitch once after a game as well? You kind of, it was, Someone said it was about not tracking back and, oh, it's just... It's just a theme. It's just so annoying. Yeah. But it goes back to his youth career as well, doesn't oh, it? Yeah. I think you touched upon it. Uh, yeah, it's happened. There's only one person to blame and it's Tongi. I think all Tottenham fans want to see him back on the pitch and thriving, but whether or not that actually happens, we'll have to uh, wait and see. Right, we've spoken at length on quite a lot of things. <laughs> at I think. length. I think this is the longest uh, podcast by far we've done, but there's still some more to discuss. Uh, obviously, two people who were spotted at the GTEC Community Stadium yesterday, Fabio Paratici and Scott Munn. Ali, you were writing about the pair of them. Maybe they should do a podcast. <laughs> you know, the two of them aren't technically in full-time employment right now. Maybe they should do the... the uh, the what what would they call it the uh, the money and Fabio um, the money men I don't know the money men podcast because it's so weird <laughs> it's so so weird Fabio Paratici banned from football activities obviously we should stress that he uh, FIFA kind of walked back his ban slightly to allow him to work in uh, a consultancy basis basis which is what he's been doing for Spurs and um, and I understand that he. I was involved in that consultancy role when it came to uh, Aleo. I think it's Aleo, you pronounce it, Valise uh, transfer. Um, and obviously we know Vicario was very much originally Paratici pushed. And like I said earlier, Brennan Johnson will be another one. But it's just so weird. Like there's this mass group selfie that's come out on social media of him <laughs> with all these Spurs fans. And it's just like, the aesthetics of it from a Spurs perspective are so weird. It's not wonderful, yet here he is still, uh, as they say on Twitter, cooking away in the background. Um, but I just find it fascinating because Postacoglu is so certain on the kind of players he wants. He made a really good quotes that um, I put out there in my talking points from when he was speaking on Friday about how if you think that Postacoglu will have any players forced on him, think again. He will absolutely not. He uh, very much has has to know that a player is going to work in the specific needs of his system. Otherwise, don't even bother. Scouting department will come to him, but he will need serious amounts of data uh, because he's got a great knowledge. He's a bit like Martin Joe. He's got this encyclopedic knowledge of players across the world. He's got a fantastic kind of... Uh, breadth of data in his own head about players and if there's anyone that he maybe hasn't seen too much he needs to be convinced about it through data um, and I don't know whether Pratichy has always worked in the data field I think he's been more of a, a scouting using his eyes type uh, so in, I'm intrigued to know how that dynamic works behind the scenes it may be one maybe we can talk to Postacoglu about or whether he gets warned off anything about Pratichy I don't know Um but certainly, even with Velis, you know, I'm sure Pratichy would have maybe thought, you know, here's a little beauty for your lads. And immediately, Postacoglu said, no, no, he's terrific. I won't play him this year. <laughs> he's not going to get any minutes this first half of the season. He's gonna, he needs a lot of work. Um, so, yeah. And obviously, Pratichy yesterday would have been very proud. It's given him a positive. He'd be very proud of Destiny Doggy. Obviously, brought him in and then 
a seemingly a terrific purchase for Spurs as well. Um, but yeah, I just find it fascinating that he's still mulling around, not only in the background now, but also like just brazenly turning up like, hey, lads, photo with the boys and all this sort of stuff. <laughs> it's just ridiculous. And it's kind of similar with Scott Munn. Scott Munn is pre- preparing more than any human on earth for a role that he hasn't officially started yet. We know he was meant to start on July the 1st for Spurs um, as his, as the club's chief football officer. Daniel Levy's number two, as it were. That has not been allowed to happen because the City Group have not, at this point, released him to do that. And I don't think it helps Spurs' cause that everywhere they've gone this summer, barring one of the trips, one of the tour trips, I can't remember which one it was, he's been there. I was sat there in Barcelona a couple of days ago watching him just wandering through the tunnel, chatting away to Postacoglu. We saw him, or he was spotted certainly yesterday at the GTEC Community Stadium walking in. And it's just like, so he's not working for you, yet he's constantly with you, chatting to club staff. Um, and yeah, that's an amazing scenario. It's only Spurs, but it's not a soap opera. It's not a soap opera. Don't forget that. It's absolutely not. Um, it's just mad. I mean, what do you make of it all? Yeah, it's just, <laughs> as you say, it's just completely mad. The thing, obviously, following the, in terms of Fabio Perastici, obviously, that case in Italy, once he'd resigned, you're thinking, oh, you've seen the last of him, but obviously, Apparently not, maybe not the uh, best of looks, uh, but unfortunately is what it is. Uh, then Scott Munn, yeah, then you're just wanting him, you know, to start work and just get on with it now. Uh, I want then, to interview him. I want yeah. to interview That's what. It'd be great to know what he thinks about everything. Yeah, uh, hopefully it'll be uh, in the position sooner rather than later. But as you were saying, it just it's like, when was it when he was appointed? April, they announced it. Start of April, yes. I think it was. Yeah, way back. Yeah, I'm still waiting for him. So, yeah. Honestly. Thank goodness for Postacoglu, though. Thank goodness. There is one clear defining voice at Tottenham Hotspur right now. That is Ange Postacoglu. Yeah. Thank goodness for him, because he knows what he's doing and he won't let anyone get in his way. And so all of this sideshow, soap opera circus, whatever everyone wants to call it around him, Thank goodness he's there in the middle just saying everyone, right, that direction, that's where we're going. Follow me. Whew, I needed that. Yeah. Right. One final bit before we uh, finally call it a day on this podcast. <laughs> right. Uh, Harry Kane has obviously left the club. Uh, he left on Saturday morning, joining Bayern Munich on a four-year contract, obviously brought an end to... An era uh, for Kane uh, at the club and now obviously Spurs uh, entering a brand new era with Ange Postacoglu at the helm. Ali, your tears have now dried since Saturday morning. Uh, <laughs> George, just give us your thoughts first of all because, I mean, it was a deal, especially on Friday. It looked like you were swaying towards staying with Tottenham and then all of a sudden it just changed. Yeah. Uh, personally, I've processed it now. It's very <laughs> sad. And I hate the fact that I'm constantly seeing these compilation videos on YouTube and, and uh, Twitter. Some are better than others, but some of them are really like, oh my goodness, I don't think I can watch this. And and uh, what do you call it? Match of the Day even did one, didn't they? Match of the Day 2 did a little compilation at the end as well. He's an incredible player, incredible talent. And I'm gutted that he's left. 
But football clubs move on, as Postacoglu said, and he even said yesterday, it's not like I went around giving them all fuzzy warm cuddles afterwards, the players. You've just got to move on. Um, and yeah, I was listening to his press conference in, in Germany and including the little kind of chuckle as someone asked about Daniel Levy. Um, but yeah, I know. I, I, I absolutely know that on Thursday there was a real wobble. Uh, whether he was going or not. I think maybe a few little doubts from Harry Kane's side as well about, you know, whether it was the right time to go right now. Um, and he admitted himself that it was very much a roller coaster those last 48 hours of whether it was going to happen or not. Um, and yeah, it's incredibly sad to see him go because I would love to see this Postacoglu team with him in it. And I just get the impression, though, he's not done at Tottenham Hotspur. I do. I I think he kind of hinted at that in that video he did, which oh, I'm going to be... I don't want this to sound like I'm being bitter because he's gone. It's absolutely not. Honestly, I cannot stress how much I just adore Harry Kane as a player and as a person was fantastic as well to us. But his video for me was very like... Eh. I just kind of felt it was a bit like the post-match ones he would do after games... I didn't feel, despite the content, the words were great. I didn't feel like it was the most emotionally charged video that I probably expected after almost two decades at the club kind of thing. Um, Again, that's very much nitpicking. Um, Absolutely. And it may just be that it was recorded at the kind of the only moment he had to do and that he was obviously looking forward to his Bayern move and didn't want to make it seem to the Bayern fans that he was devastated to be leaving his former club kind of thing. But I just wonder whether it was one of those that might have worked better as text rather than actual video. I don't know. I don't know. But yeah, the point of talking about that video is the fact that, yeah, he did say in it as well, this isn't goodbye because we don't know what the future holds. And I just kind of get the impression from from Harry Kane's side of things um, and those who kind of know him that maybe this isn't the end of his Tottenham journey. What that means, I don't know. And even Postacoglu said he's sure he'd be back in some capacity. Whether you know he ends up player manager one day or whether he comes back as a coach or even just like an ambassador one day, I don't know. Or maybe he does a couple of years mopping up the German silverware and comes back to Tottenham, a bit Teddy Sheringham-esque after his Man United spell and comes back as, a, as an older, more experienced kind of type to get that Premier League record. Um, who knows? But uh, no, very sad that he's gone. But I think I'm just trying to focus now on what Tottenham can be going forward. And while I don't want to come out there and claim that, oh, Spurs will be better without him because that would be ridiculous, there are ways that a football club can reorganise itself and create something different that can maybe take them in a different path. That's probably the way I'd say it. And I think Liverpool with Coutinho was the greatest example we've probably seen in recent times of that, of a huge fee, a star player going out the door, but they remodelled themselves and made them into something a little bit different. And that's, I think, what Tottenham have got to do. Yeah. And they've got Postacoglu, which I should say is absolutely key. Yeah. Life goes on. I think there's a lot of positivity at the moment around the club, especially with Ange Postacoglu in charge. I think he's going to take Tottenham places and we saw that in the Brentford game. Uh, There's a lot of positives to take but coming up on Saturday evening, really tough home game against Manchester United. Uh, I believe we're going to be back later in the week for another podcast. Although I don't <laughs> Not think, another two-hour one. <laughs> although I don't think it's going to be 
two hours, but uh, I'm sure there'll be plenty of, to talk about as usual in the world of Tottenham Hotspur. So as ever, thank you for listening to the podcast and just keep with us at football.london for all your latest Tottenham news. Grab your exclusive NordVPN deal by going to nordvpn.com forward slash gold guest to get a huge discount off your NordVPN plan plus four additional months for free. It's completely risk-free with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee.